I honestly believe that it was my habits, the work that I've done on myself mentally and emotionally, as well as the tool of the weight loss surgery itself. Like that was kind of the dynamic trio that have led to my long-term success. Welcome to The Work In Between, the podcast that explores the topics and daily actions that get us to our health-related goals. Whether you're trying to lose weight, get more fit, or improve your mental, emotional, or spiritual health, you're in the right place. In 2021, I was diagnosed with diabetes and was morbidly obese. I was already a three-time cancer survivor, so I knew I had to do something to turn my life around. So I did. I lost over 100 pounds began transforming my life inside and out. I'm living my most purposeful and intentional life, and I want you to live yours too. Thanks for stopping by. I'm glad you're here. I'm your host, Gretchen Holmes, and this is The Work In Between. Welcome to my next story from my Transformational Journey series. The series where I talk with extraordinary people who have made the decision to transform their lives physically, mentally, emotionally, and or spiritually. I am always incredibly honored and humbled to talk with my guests about their journeys to good health. I promise you, you are going to be inspired by today's guest. She has a truly incredible story, and I can't wait to get started. Monica Kindy, PhD, is an administrator and associate professor of biochemistry. She champions the integrated and holistic education of the next generations of osteopathic physicians. 10 years ago, the day before her 30th birthday and weighing 495 pounds, she underwent gastric bypass surgery with the hope of transforming her life. Since then, she's had three children, began and advanced her professional career, overcame profound personal challenges, and lost 340 pounds to help discover the person she is today. Welcome. It is such an honor to have you on the show. Thank you, Gretchen. Happy to be here. A big part of why I do this show is to share our stories, our daily struggles, and our triumphs, because I believe that it's in the sharing that we truly begin to heal. Let's start at the beginning. Where does your story start? Where do you even want to begin? That's a tough question. I could tell you that my story starts 10 years ago when I decided to transform my life. But in kind of working through myself these last 10 years, I realized that my story started much, much longer ago. So some of those experiences in my childhood, in my formative years, I now realize really contributed to the person that I was, the person that I became, and now the person that I am now. What had been your mindset up to the point when you decided to have gastric bypass surgery? Did something specific happen that helped you make the decision or was it a gradual process? I love that question. I was incredibly resistant to losing weight for a very long time. I was in fact 
very bitter. I felt diminished and disrespected and generally not taken very seriously as a professional, as a person, uh, just due to my size. Looking back, I think maybe I thought I was, quote, too far gone to ever change where I was. And so I was just going to put all of my eggs into the I am a large person basket. And that's how I existed. And so then kind of with that came the excessive eating. And then in grad school, through an unhappy marriage, my weight just ballooned. I was content with that. This is who I am. This is who I'm going to be. Take it or leave it. That's me. And in fact, I was miserable physically, mentally, emotionally. Everything hurt in every way that it could. And in fact, it was my mother who first mentioned to me the possibility of weight loss surgery. And I was incredibly offended. I would even say horrified that she would dare suggest that to me. So sorry, mom. But looking back, I realize now that taking that drastic kind of measure at that point in my life was really the tool that I needed to be able to make that transformation to kind of kickstart my transformational journey into who I am now. But don't you think that's part of the struggle for us in that if we decide that whatever weight we are, if we have to do something as drastic as one would say gastric bypass surgery certainly was 10 years ago for sure, we're almost rejecting who we are. There's something there that I think inherently we would feel like we are rejecting ourselves. I don't even know. Does that resonate at all? It absolutely does. And I think that's why I was so offended that my mother suggested it to me because somehow I was not enough. I was not good because of who I was or my size and I needed to change. And I think that's probably what hurt the most. But then I think when my own hurt, my own physical and mental and emotional hurt, when that surpassed my pride, I feel like that's when it kind of resonated with me of, okay, either I do something now or I'm going to live like this for the rest of my likely truncated life. That's kind of the process I needed to go through. And it took me many, many years to get there. I'm a scientist by training. I'm very data driven. And so when I realized that it was a possibility and something that I could do, and I started looking in the medical literature and I started learning more about the process and the outcomes, it kind of became more of a realistic option for me rather than something that people thought I needed to do. So was your mom, was she the very first person who ever suggested you should do something about your weight or just to get the surgery? She was the first person to suggest I get the surgery. Now, mm -hmm. 
the weight discussion had been happening with me uh, since I was a child. So I had always been overweight. I even in the early 90s, my mom, my dad and myself were all put on a derivative of Fenfen. So I was in eighth grade taking diet pills and I lost a tremendous amount of weight then. Even when I was in grad school, I kind of did it the old fashioned way and I lost about 100 pounds and then it just slowly kind of crept back on. I feel like I knew in my heart of hearts that there was something I needed to do. But again, kind of getting to that position where I knew that I was in the position for taking drastic measures, that kind of took me a while to get there. Well, it's a huge step. And I can only imagine how much fear was attached to that. I'm familiar with the hopelessness. I think a lot of us experience that. But the fear from such a drastic surgery, I think, had to be incredibly frightening. It absolutely was. I remember in taking comfort in what I was reading, reading the outcomes, reading personal stories, going to these pre-surgery support groups and talking to people who had done it and who were, you know, three, four, five, six years post-op and knowing that they were okay. That helped. But I remember sitting on the bed, getting ready to be wheeled back and having what felt at the time like a panic attack because I knew I was doing it and I had prepped for eight months. I had to go through eight months of pre-surgery stuff, but then realizing in that moment, like I am making a decision that is forever going to alter one, my life and two, my physicality. Like Mm -hmm. it's going to alter my anatomy in a way that I cannot go back from it. That was a really heavy realization to make. Yeah, I can imagine. So was everybody heavy? Did you come from a family of people like the parents and siblings or whatever? Because food is such a big part of our culture. I definitely think that my family is genetically predisposed a bit. My parents have been on the heavier side. They're both in very healthy places in their lives now. Uh Uh, My siblings inexplicably, I think because they developed such good, healthy habits as younger children with their athletic involvement, I think they were spared for the most part. But I was certainly in my family, immediate and extended, absolutely the only person that ever was could be classified as super morbidly obese. And that was just always my identity. That was me. And so you learn to kind of build your identity around that and then kind of live your life around that too. And it's really hard when that becomes you it's really hard to, and scary, like you said, it's really hard and scary to realize that you're going to have to become a whole new person. And so that's just kind of all part of the transformation itself. When you just said that it became your identity, how did that manifest? We're always curious about how that plays out in people's lives. I can give you a very concrete Example. So I was finishing my PhD and I was getting ready to move to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania for my postdoctoral training. 
And I'd never been to Pittsburgh, but I knew it was a big city and I was at my absolute heaviest. And I knew, you know, there was going to be an issue with parking and how far was I going to have to walk. And so I was pulling up Google Maps Street View to try to understand, are there hills? Would I be able to walk from the parking garage to where I was going? You know, how would I be able to get from point A to point B? at my size because there were things that I just could not do. Also, my body would have very good days and also very bad days. And so on the bad days, I couldn't grocery shop because my back or my hips or my knees were just screaming in pain. And so I really had to just do simple things like going grocery shopping based on where my body was at in that moment. And so that's kind of how like that kind of shaped my identity in terms of what I was able to do, what I was comfortable in doing. Other than when your family doctor had put you all on FenFen when you were younger, had you in your young adult life, had you made some decisions to try and lose weight or had you just fully accepted that that's who you were? So even when I was an undergrad and like the Adkins diet became very in vogue and I did that, I lost a lot of weight then. And I got down to my smallest at the time adult weight. And so even as I was doing this weight loss surgery journey later in life, there were pictures from my undergrad that were my inspiration pictures. What's interesting is I have far surpassed that weight now. But yeah, I it's always just kind of been an up and down journey. It's weird to be in a place where it's stuck. I honestly believe that it was my habits, the work that I've done on myself mentally and emotionally, as well as the tool of the weight loss surgery itself. Like that was kind of the dynamic trio that have led to my long-term success. And I don't think any one of those alone would have done it because I probably would have already done it if it was just the one thing. Absolutely true. And that's why there's so many of us who have been successful at losing weight. And then of course it comes back on because we didn't really address what the initial issue was. I know my whole life, I've been heavy my whole life, except a couple of times I'd lost a hundred pounds. It wasn't uncommon for me in the course of a day to go from, all right, I can do this. I can eat healthfully. I can work out. I can figure out what's going on. And then an hour later, I'm like, this is hopeless. I can't do this. This is ridiculous. I'm stuck like this for the rest of my life. I mean, it was up and down and up and down. There was absolutely no rhyme or reason to any of it. I think most of us have had that experience where we swing from super excited and motivated to absolutely not. There's no way I can't do this. You're nodding your head. So I'm guessing you've been there. And I've got the perfect story to kind of support that claim. So like I said, 10 years ago, I underwent gastric bypass. And then in the span of eight years, I had three kids to the point where about two and a half years ago, I gained approximately 100 pounds over those seven-ish years. So Mm -hmm. I was back up to about 285. 
-hmm. I was in a horrible place mentally, emotionally. All of those addictive tendencies had come back. I was eating to cope. I was drinking to cope. And it wasn't until I started intensive therapy that something clicked. And once I was able to get to the root cause of my hurt and my pain and, and really start to work on myself in a way that wasn't physical, right? That it just clicked. And along with that, about two years ago, so I started the therapy, I got sober, and then I created the best accountability buddy that you could in my husband. Nice. Uh, and so collectively in the last about two years, we've lost 220 pounds together. And that just kind of goes to show that the mental component, that mental health, that emotional health is so critical because even with the tool, you know, my anatomy changing forever, that wasn't enough. And that weight slowly crept back on because I was in such a bad place. But then again, doing the other work, that is what kind of has kind of helped it stick. I often say that if you work on your relationship with food, and that includes why you're eating it, right? Why are we self-soothing with food? The scale follows because the reason we weigh what we do is because we haven't dealt with whatever the trauma, the pain, whatever the problems were. I've also maintained that I don't know if I've ever met anybody who was obese, who said that was my goal in life. It is a tough place out there for obese, morbidly obese, whatever the category. And so the fact that we so rarely really address that it has to be something that isn't food related that is going on. It's not just that we like to sit around and eat whole pizzas, right? It's because we are in pain. We have suffered traumas and we have have experiences that we need to deal with. That's why we're overweight. That's why we're morbidly obese. I think that is something that really has to be talked about more because we are missing the point. We're focusing on the scale and we're focusing on the food. And we don't have to focus on that if we focus on the part we really need to focus on, which is what's causing us to self-soothe in the first place, right? Yeah. I mean, being fat is not a character flaw. I think that's something that if you haven't lived that life, you don't really understand that. And the amount of discrimination... Nobody would, as you said, nobody would ever choose to live a life at 495 pounds. And I can effectively say that because I lived that and I experienced the world as that person. And it is a very, very hurtful experience. Not only just, like I said, the physicality of it, but Mm -hmm. how people perceive you and just the hurt that is caused by others just by taking up that space in the world where it's not okay to be fat, really. You actually just segued into a question that I wanted to ask because it's so important to talk about this. What do you think are the biggest misconceptions around A, weight loss surgery, and B, people who choose to go that route? I think the 
biggest misconception is that it's the easy way out. It is definitely a different journey than doing it the quote traditional way. I had to deal in the same way that somebody who was losing weight through calories in, calories out, the same mental battle that I would have otherwise. And I think that people who ascribe weight loss surgery to just something that you do to instantaneously lose weight are very misled. I came home from the hospital and I was on a liquid diet for weeks afterwards and my husband made bacon and we were watching Hell's Kitchen on TV and I legitimately had a panic attack because I had used food as my coping strategy for so long. Mm -hmm. And suddenly not having that at my disposal and being surrounded by food constantly, the realization of the enormity of the decision that I made was realized in that instant. That's how I knew that this was not going to be the easy way out. And I would just want everybody to know that weight loss surgery is not easy. I'm 10 years post-op. And I can take about two and a half bites of ice cream before I get incredibly ill because it's the mixture of the lactose and the fat and the sugar. It's just the perfect combination that my body can't deal with. And so again, it's, it's not easy. And that's something that to be able to be in the place that I'm at now, I will gladly give up a couple bites of ice cream, you know? <laughs> I hear you. Absolutely. What do you want people to know about people who are as heavy as you were? One, I think I already said it, it's not a character flaw. Seeing somebody like that does not mean that they are inherently less than, but it also doesn't mean that they're broken. It means that that's how they're living their life then and there, and that there are a wide array of challenges associated with being that size that you could never really understand. And so I was, I was very frequently just in a bad place mentally and that affected how I interacted with the world because I was in constant pain. I was constantly guarded because I was anticipating that anybody was going to say something nasty to me at any given time in any instant just when you thought you were in a safe space you never knew when you were going to be faced with some comment and then little things i was participating in this women in science and medicine colloquium series and it was in an auditorium and i showed up and my worst fear yeah. all of the chairs yeah. had armrests yeah and i yeah. In that moment, being surrounded by professional, accomplished women, having that panic of what am I going to do and having to kind of sheepishly, you know, shirk away and track somebody down and ask them, you know, could you find me a chair that didn't have arms and having to like scrooch it into the yeah. auditorium and sit in the back. I mean, there are so many of those little microaggressions living in that size that you really can't understand it unless you lived it. So you had the surgery. Mm -hmm. 
what was surprisingly easy? Was there anything that you thought, well, I thought this would be harder versus what was harder than you thought it was going to be? I knew I was going to lose weight. I did not anticipate that I would lose it as rapidly as I did. I mentioned I'm very data-driven, so I was on my fitness pal. I was tracking every calorie. I was logging my weight. I was doing measurements. I wanted to see the effects of the work that I was doing. And to be able to see the downward trend, the slope of that line, that very linear slope for about two and a half years, that was shocking. I didn't expect that I would lose so consistently for so long. And I don't think that everybody has that same experience. Maybe my experience was a bit of not an anomaly, but not necessarily the norm. So that was surprising. What was shockingly difficult for me was how little I could eat and for how long. Even now, I'm 10 years post-op. I very frequently, if I go out, I have a waiter, is your meal okay? And I'm like, yep, I'm just, I'm full. But I've also been very careful to protect my tool. Part of the surgery is the anatomy change. And one thing that post-op folks will kind of slip into is, you know, stretching their stomach out by eating too much too frequently. Mm -hmm. And so I was very protective of that. Like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to use it for as long as I can. That's something that I'm still struggling with because I, I like to eat good food. And when I choose to indulge, even the amount that I'm able to is very limited still. I have not had the surgery. I certainly thought about it, but I can only imagine with the reality versus the, the myths and the stories and the whatevers. I mean, it does help to be somebody who is very data-driven. I think then you can go get the facts. You can go to the medical journals. And I think it does do a, a good job of grounding it in fact which I think is really, really important because it's such a complex decision. I am curious because this is a lot of what this podcast is about. What are two or three things that you did in your recovery that kept you moving forward, especially when it got hard? I think we all start this process with a goal in mind, right? And I was starting at 495 pounds and I mentioned my undergraduate weight, right? It yeah. was 180. That was my goal. I'm 5'10". So 180 on a 5'10 frame is, yeah. is a pretty good goal. But if I went into it of like, I'm going to go from 495 to 180, that's going to take a very long time. And if I'm looking at the enormity of that goal, it's very easy to be discouraged. It's very easy to be derailed. And so for me, I set what I called micro or mini goals. And as I reached those little micro mini goals, I celebrated them all in a way that did not involve food. Because so often in our culture, we celebrate with food. And that's how I got to where I got. Even things of, you know, buying a a new pair of pants or going to Sephora and getting that lipstick that I wanted. But setting those mini goals, something that was attainable, and then celebrating all of those victories. 
that was really important to me to keep me on track and to minimize any discouragement I would have felt during that enormous journey. But I think that also applies to like the physical goals as well. I have a really bad habit of just trying to eat the elephant in one gulp, right? I'm going to start losing weight. So I'm going to you know, cut calories to 1200 a day and I'm going to track everything and I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, and then it's very easy to get overwhelmed and then get discouraged and then just kind of fall off the wagon really quickly. Mm-hmm. So for me, the thing that really, I feel jump started my transformation was walking everywhere and anywhere I could walk a little bit more, I did. And so even when I was in the research lab, all day, every day, I made a point, I would set up a reaction or an experiment and I would go walking. And at first it was like half a mile, but then over time it got to the point where I was walking every afternoon, three and a half miles a day. And it started so small, but if you keep with those small goals, they can really kind of balloon into something that you do almost for yourself. Like, I don't do this because I have to. I do this because it's getting me out of myself and getting me out of my mundane day. Like, this is me time. That was really important. I also mentioned the accountability buddy. (laughs) Creating opportunities for accountability, I feel is so important. When you try to do things kind of in secrecy, it's very easy to cheat yourself. But when you have people who you're accountable to, and even for me, it wasn't necessarily folks that were in my life, like day to day. It was people on like weight loss forums. It was people who I followed and who followed me on Instagram. It was folks that I could check in with when I felt myself kind of falling off the rails a bit, just somebody to kind of bring me back to reality and remind me of what it was I was doing and why it was I was doing, but also being accountable to myself, reflecting on here's where you were, here's how far you've come, here's how far you need to go still, but also that reflecting of I've come so far, I don't want to go back to what I was because that was for me a very miserable existence and I'm going to remain accountable to myself so I I don't have to go back to that. And as you start feeling better and getting stronger and getting addicted to how good you have started to feel because that I maintain you know we all tend to gain weight relatively slowly or we're heavy our whole lives we didn't even know how miserable we felt. We didn't even know how bad we felt because we hadn't felt good in so long. So I think for me as well, as I started feeling better, again, wasn't about the looks. That was nice, but it really was not feeling pain every day. It was being able to move around throughout this world in a much easier way. It was freedom. You are spot on. I also, I have rheumatoid arthritis, which when you're in an inflammatory state coupled with carrying extra weight, I was, I was in a very bad place physically. And the point where I'm at now, my RA flares are very rare. 
it usually coincides with being ill otherwise, like the cold that I'm nursing right now, right? My wrist is screaming, but that's because of my immune system, not because of something I'm doing. So it definitely goes hand in hand. What surprised you the most about yourself after you lost all the weight that you lost? What'd you learn about you that you didn't know? Everything, (laughs) everything, just gaining a personal style. Like, what do I want to wear? What do I enjoy wearing? I came from a place where I would have to order all of my clothes out of a catalog because I needed 6X clothes and I just bought what I could find to now cultivating who I am on the outside, but also, you know, finding out, discovering who I was on the inside too. Like, what do I like? to do? What do I enjoy doing versus what am I limited to do? Yeah, that's a really different question. What do I want to do versus of my limited choices? What can Can I do? Yeah, big difference. And I think anybody who's not been limited by those types of limitations don't understand what we have to tell ourselves in our heads that this is okay, that this is normal, that this is this is a good life. I thought I wasn't self-censoring in my life. I thought I was living a fully engaged life until I lost a lot of weight. And I realized I had been self-censoring all along. The fear of the what ifs, like, am I going to fit in this space? Are they going to have chairs that can accommodate my size? Are the chairs going to have armrests? Those are questions that I asked myself all the time every time. I didn't realize that was my norm until it no longer was. And to not have those limitations in place now, I still find myself side-eyeing chairs. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. like, I'm like, oh, that's a pretty narrow chair. And I'm like, wait a minute, that doesn't matter to me now. So it's just funny that those habits, that kind of lifestyle, that way of living doesn't die easily. No. And in fact, when I fly, I still, there's a little muscle memory that says, oh, I hope the seats are going to be big enough. Well, of course they're big enough. I'm fine. I'm normal size. I mean, I'm a healthy size, but boy, I spent a lot more time not being a healthy size. And so that automatically will flicker just a second. And then I catch myself. Yeah. The first time I flew and didn't need a seatbelt extender. Well, first of all, I never flew when I was at my heaviest because I was a grad student. I couldn't afford two seats, but then I did fly heavier. And, but the first time I flew and I didn't need a seatbelt extender, I cried. I took a picture of my seatbelt and I sent it to my husband and it was a moment for me. And again, celebrating those victories along the way is very important. And I've made an effort to not take for granted all of the things that I'm able to enjoy now, because that for me is a really important reminder of how far I've come and how critical it is for me to not go back to that. Yeah. One of the biggest moments I had, and I'm 60 years old and I bought my very first pair of Wrangler blue jeans off the shelf in a store, put them on, and they were a slim fit. My husband happened to be with me. I about lost my mind. I was dancing. I was screaming. I was jumping around. That was one of the greatest moments I've had in a long time. 
I bought three pair. It was crazy for me. I would have never imagined I could wear just regular old Wrangler jeans, not yeah. stretch, not from a catalog, just right walked in the store, took it right off the shelf. That's huge. That's awesome. Congrats. Yeah. I truly was doing the happy dance and I loved all the celebrations that you did along the way. I too broke things down into small increments because I found it so overwhelming all the time. There's no way to even get your head around the enormity of what we have to do. And I think breaking it down into very doable things and living it one day, one meal, one moment at a time is what I think all of us, no matter how much weight we have to lose, if we're overwhelmed, that's kind of how we have to do it. So do you remember a moment during your recovery after your surgery where the image of yourself started to change? Oh my gosh. I don't know that it was any one moment. And I can share pretty candidly now that I still have those moments where I kind of do that second look or I'm on a Zoom call and I'm in a conference room and I'm like, who is that? Oh, that's me. Or I go to a store and I always pick the wrong size. I always yeah. pick a size that's too big. And so I still struggle with the body dysmorphia quite a bit because I still coming to terms with who I am now. But along the way, I don't know that it was any, it was definitely a gradual shift of finally like realizing, you know, what I was becoming physically that definitely I'm still working on. Well, it's not a simple process either uh, to go from identifying as a fat person, myself right there with you, to a healthy or a thin person. I mean, we can't just flip a switch. And I think some people do struggle more with that. When I lost, I never thought of myself as as heavy as I was. I too didn't recognize the first time I did a Zoom call and saw myself on screen. I spent most of the time staring at myself. I wasn't even paying attention to what we were supposed to be talking about. I was shocked that that's what I looked like because that was not how I saw myself. Did you have to do some intentional work around your identity and how you saw yourself? Or was it something that kind of just gradually started to kind of heal and, and emerge? Gosh, that's a really difficult question. I had always had long hair and it was always kind of my shroud. My face was so round and it just kind of hid me from the world a bit. But as I lost weight and I gained a little bit of shape in my face, I, you know, I cut my hair yeah. and then I just kept getting shorter and shorter to what you see now. It's, it's a kind of a pixie cut and it's just part of my identity now. Like, I don't think I'll ever have long hair again. And I don't know if it's because my hair now suits me or if it's because I have attributed that longer hair to my shroud, to who I was. I'm still trying to figure out, like, is this who I am now or is this me compensating for who I was and trying to create that distance of, you know, I'm not that person anymore. That's, I feel, a really complicated thing to understand still. Yeah, I think there's a lot to unravel there. Is there anything specific that you really struggle with after all of this time that bugs you? Losing 340 pounds is not without its challenges. Loose skin, 
Anybody that's lost any amount of weight knows about that. I was very lucky in that my insurance actually covered one of my loose skin procedures. So the panicolectomy, the lower abdominal flap that many super morbidly obese, particularly women have, I had so many struggles associated with that. My insurance covered my panicolectomy. I paid out of pocket for my brachioplasty, which is removing the skin from my arms. Uh That was the best money I've ever spent in my entire life. But also, you know, going to the pool with my kids, even just two weekends ago and feeling comfortable in my body, but knowing that my body doesn't look like everybody else's body and having little kids comment on my legs. Again, it's one of those reminders of where you've come from. And would I trade who I am now and the life that I live now and the loose skin and the weird looking legs for what I was then? Not in a million years because I'm able to enjoy my life and enjoy my children and my family in a way that I would never have been able to. 340 pounds ago. Yeah, and it is something that we don't talk about very much. And it is a thing. I mean, we all have to deal with it some in much more extreme circumstances than others. Unless you're going through it, it's hard to describe all of those conversations that we have in our heads about it. I'm with you. I wouldn't change a thing. I I absolutely wouldn't. So we don't hear very often from people who have lost hundreds of pounds like yourself. I mean, it's extraordinary. Your story is absolutely extraordinary. I think as a culture, we have put way too much effort in silencing those voices. Anybody who doesn't fit into our idea of what healthy or aesthetically pleasing or whatever the metrics are, the criteria. How do we help elevate the voices of those who are in the situation you were in? I think destigmatizing all of it, recognizing that people in those super morbidly obese bodies are indeed people. Mm -hmm. They are deserving of respect and love and compassion and empathy just as much as anybody else. They're not inherently less than, but then people who choose to have a surgical procedure to better themselves, they're not taking the easy way out. You know, they're making the right choice for them. And then people who are living a different life, having lost 340 pounds whose bodies look inherently different, they're not less than. And so just destigmatizing the whole net process, I think is really important. You know, encouraging people to speak out of like, this is my experience. This is my lived experience. And championing those lived experiences, regardless of whether it's weight loss or anything else is so important because I think hearing those stories helps normalize those lived experiences and it encourages people to share those experiences but it also really requires that those people who are hearing those lived experiences develop some compassion and some empathy and some understanding that they wouldn't have otherwise had to find i think that's probably the most important part I agree with you 100%. And I think there is more awareness, slowly but surely. I think we are doing a better job, I think, in getting people's stories out there. 
because stories are powerful. And on one hand, we always hope that it helps inspire and give hope and provide support for those who are experiencing similar things. But on the other hand, I really hope that those who tend to be judgmental and tend to make those comments that are inappropriate and treat people less than will start to hear the human side of these lived experiences because people have feelings and they hurt and nobody likes to be treated as less than for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So how have you kept it off all these years? I know you had a bit of a bump and then you had to lose it again. Uh, what are your tried and true like self-care routines and or preventative actions that kind of keep you happy and healthy and, and on the right track? I move when I can and it doesn't require going to the gym. Like I don't have to do anything special to find opportunities to move my body. I consider every time I do something physically that I wouldn't have been able to do 10 years ago, that's a celebration in and of itself. So every time I have that chance to, and I do, I make the effort to at least in my mind have that intentional of like, wow, this is really cool that I'm doing this. So there's that. Something as simple as I never drink my calories. I drink water. I drink the occasional diet pop. I'm sober. I don't drink alcohol anymore at all. And so that's just something kind of easy and tangible that I can control that I know is helping me in the long run continue to achieve my goals. What else do I do? Do you have any uh, self-care routines? Like, are there meditation or practicing mindfulness? How do you treat yourself? Admittedly, I am horrible at self-care. I am a professional. I work a lot. I have three kids under seven. Oh my goodness. Uh, so there's not a lot of opportunities for me. I get my nails done. That is time, even sitting in a chair, that I'm not doing anything else. I can't do yep. anything else, right? Yeah. And so it's time out of my house. It's time away from my kids. That is me time. And even things like I really enjoy discovering who I am now, finding out, you know, what clothes suit me. What is my image? What do I mm -hmm. want to put out to the world as to who I am now? Now that I have the ability to control that, that's kind of one thing that I do for myself. My therapist would be really annoyed with me by saying that I'm terrible at self-care because he's always intentionality, you know, meditation. I'm getting there. I feel like I make little bitty strides ever so often where I'm like, I get to go tell my therapist that I did this today. So yeah. I would argue that being intentional in cultivating how we want to be seen and how we want to present ourselves to the world, that is self-care because that is something we have never been able to do before because Absolutely. I do the same thing and it gives me great joy in being able to have choices and to be intentional about how I move through the world. And that is self-care. Yes. I love that intentionality about how I move through the world. I've used that phrase so many times 
And again, unless you've lived it, unless you've had a lived experience where you don't have that control, you don't realize how easy it is to take that for granted. Agreed. Monica, your story is going to help so many people who are struggling, who are just trying to get through the day, who are looking for hope, for inspiration. I mean, they're going to find it in your story. So I don't think thank you is enough. I feel incredibly honored to have been able to talk with you and hear your story as you shared all of your experiences, your resilience and your determination, but mainly your spirit. I mean, I just, it has been nothing but a joy to sit and talk with you. I do hope you'll come on and talk with me again, but in the meantime, thank you so, so very much for sharing your story with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me and for providing this opportunity for me to share my lived experience. And I do hope that it cultivates hope in somebody. You're never too far gone to better yourself and to get to the point where you can live with intentionality. So thank you for giving me the venue to share. Thank you so much. What about you? What resonated with you the most about Monica's story? What else would you like to know? I'd love to hear from you. So send me your questions or comments at www.gretchenholmesphd.com. You'll find my previous podcasts along with additional information to help you on your journey to good health. You can also sign up for podcast alerts and upcoming events. Finally, from me to you, remember to love and celebrate yourself now, today. Don't wait until you feel worthy. You already are. Loving yourself is the only way to good health. Until next time. The information on this podcast is not intended nor implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Mm -hmm.